Well, it's great to gather here today outdoors. We're thankful that the Lord uh, kept the rain off of us. Um, I was wondering last night if it was going to happen, but uh, here we are today, so uh, we're thankful for that. And um, also for all the extra dogs that are here today. And some of you, I, I haven't seen you since when we went back inside in November, so it's great to have you back in person with us. So welcome this morning. Uh, would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we uh, look to God's Word? Just take a moment to be still before the Lord God Almighty. Feel the breeze. Worship Him this morning for who He is, the Creator and Sustainer of this universe. Father, we come before you today acknowledging that you are God. We're so thankful that you have loved us first. That because you loved us, Lord, we can receive your love and extend that to others. Thank you for your forgiveness of our sins. We acknowledge that it's through Jesus Christ that we can speak with you and worship you and be heard by you. Lord, today as we, we look to your word that you spoke here on this earth some 2,000 years ago, we ask, God, as you are the living word, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that your spirit would fall fresh upon us, that you would fill us, renew our minds, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, about 65 A.D., the followers of Christ were being burned at the stake, persecuted for the city of Rome being burned down. Nero burned the city down, and he blamed the Christians as a scapegoat for the cause of burning down the city of Rome at that time. And everybody hated the followers of Jesus. There weren't very many of them at that time, considering about this fairly new movement of followers of the way, and they were being burned at the stake. And the question for you this morning is, how many do you think there were alive at around 65 AD? This is several years after Jesus passed away, but the apostles are still alive at this point. Now, the question is, how many were they alive then? And um, the reality is, is that Christianity was illegal. They didn't have church buildings that we know of, uh, other than little houses that had been expanded to make more of a chapel. They didn't have the written scriptures that, as we know them. They didn't have established seminaries. They didn't have the printing press, radio, TV, internet, or cell phones during this time. And the question is, how many people did they have? They had about 25,000 people at the time of Nero in 65 AD, where they were being burned at the stake, where they were being persecuted to flee. And in just less than 245 years later, how many Christians do we see? Do we have a count before Constantine actually made it the, the official religion of the Roman Empire? But before that took place, we see a movement of Christians take place. And, and the, the reality is it went from 25,000 Christians Christ followers 
to 245 years later in 310 AD of 20 million Christians all throughout the world. The church exploded during this time, this short period of history of only 200 years, 10 times fold, not just in that area, but around the world, we see the movements of the way of Jesus spread around the world. And the question is, what, why did it happen? What took place that allowed the word of God and his followers to continue to spread out all over the world, to multiply, to have an amazing impact on this world? Well, I can tell you this. It wasn't the, the thought of, I'm just going to go to church on Sundays and that's it. That's not what they thought a Christianity was. It was something far more invasive than that, more contagious than that. They literally took the teachings of Jesus seriously. Seriously enough that it changed their life and they were willing to do whatever Jesus taught them and follow it and live that out every day of their lives. So the question is, what did Jesus teach them? What did Jesus teach them that was so transformational that turned the world upside down in just 200 years? Well, we've been looking at a series called Sermon of the Mount, and it's Jesus' most famous message. And I believe that the, the Christians at the time looked at the Sermon of the Mount and said, these are the teachings of Jesus that we must live out. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. They were outside like we, were today, like we are today. And you can just picture Jesus teaching to the followers of Christ at this moment. And last week, Pastor Dave went through the Beatitudes, and today we're looking at a small section of, the, of this sermon, verses 13 through 16, salts and lights. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus gives them two metaphors, two pictures of how Christians should be living and who they should be. Two metaphors that talk about the inward character and the outward testimony of the followers of Christ. Salt. You are the salt of the earth. This is the inward character of a believer of Jesus. It's something that takes place within the inside of them. This is who they are. This is their character. You are the salt of the earth. This you is an emphatic term. It's not just generality. Uh, the Christians are salt, but no, you are salt of the earth. Now, salt, we know salt has great value, and we've many times studied this passage. Salt is a preservative, right? Salt preserves the purity of the Word of God. You, as a believer of Jesus Christ, bring preservation 
to the things of God upon this earth. You look at the world around you and you think, I don't get it. I don't get the human trafficking. I don't get slavery. I don't get the transgender gay movement that's taking place. The world is a dark place and it seems to be getting darker and darker. How can this be? Well, we are the salts of the earth. You know, you can look around and you can see that this world needs preservation of the things of God. Just two weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to 76ers game and uh, with my son, and we were there for a playoff game, and it was a lot of fun. The crowd was intense. But I have to tell you, I was a little bit taken back on how ungodly the crowd was. The explicitives that were being chanted at the opposing players or at the referees. And I remember turning over to my son, Malachi, I said, this has got to be the most ungodly city. Like, the city of brotherly love was not the city of brotherly love in that moment as they were playing uh, the other team. And I was just thinking, we are salt. We are the ones to preserve. We don't curse our enemies. We love our enemies. The world needs us to, be, to preserve that which is good. The world needs us to stand up and to speak for the things of God that God made is good, that God said is right. We all are made in the image of God. Christians see that men and women made in the image of God. We stand up for what God has made good. We stand up for the dignity of people. We are the ones that should be able to speak love when others speak hate. We are the ones who should be able to stand up for the lonely. Stand up for the outcasts. Another way to say this, it says, you tell, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. You see, we are supposed to bring out good taste to the God flavors of this world, the things that God created, which is good, we, we season that to the, those around us. Salt seasons us, and we see that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, that, um, that we are called to be wise in the way we out to, act towards outsider, outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. We should be having salty conversations that are full of grace. Not self-righteousness, not judgment, not with arrogance about we know everything, what, everything that's right, but with grace, with love, with forgiveness. We should be able to have a conversation with someone that we disagree with in a loving way that doesn't get heated and, and people stomping out of the room. This is what it means to have conversations always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So Jesus paints this picture that we are salt. We are to bring preservation to the things of God, that we should give flavor to the God flavors of this world. We seasoned those things around us, the people around us. And the second picture that God gives us is that we are light. He says, you are the light of the world, 
verse 14. The nation of Israel was known as the, Israel, as the light to the nations. We see that in Isaiah 42, verse 6. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take you hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. You see, God's mission was to use his people, the, the Israelites, to be a light to the Gentiles. That is, everybody else in the world, to reach the nations. The Israelites realized this as they were sitting there listening to Jesus. They, they understood this teaching that they were to be the light unto the Gentiles. And then Jesus says, I actually am the light. John 8 verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, we are to be the lights of the world. This light that we have is a borrowed light from Jesus. We are like mirrors reflecting the light of Jesus. This is not ours to those around us, as it says in Philippians 2. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without faults and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You see, we shine like stars when we hold firmly to the word of life. And that looks practically, Paul said, that it means do everything without grumbling and complaining. It's pretty practical. Don't grumble, don't complain, and you will shine like a star among us in this world. Then you will become blameless and pure, not warped, not crooked like the generation we live among. We shine like stars to those around us. He goes on in verse 15. A, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. You see, it was, the light was strategically placed up on the hill so that everyone could see it. You are strategically placed entity. God has strategically placed you where you are at in your life. Now you say, no, not me, Pastor Andrew. I, I, I am not supposed to be where I'm at. I don't, I'm just waiting to pass through. I just came here by accident. I'm looking to move on. I'm looking to find a better job. No, God has placed you strategically where you are at today to be a light on a hill for him. Whether it's in your job, whether it's where you live in your apartment complex, in your neighborhood, whether it's the team that you play on, the club that you're a part of, maybe it's the desk that you're placed at next to certain people at work, Maybe it's your dogs that you go and walk at a dog park that connects you with other people. Maybe it's the hobbies of riding motorcycles or fishing or knitting. Maybe it's your sickness. Maybe the fact that God has given you sickness is to be a light to someone as you go to your doctor's appointments and share with other people. Maybe it's the gym you go to. Maybe it's your restaurant that you regularly visit. It's the place where you get your takeouts. You are strategically placed where you are to be a light on a hill for Jesus. Going on, verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
There's two words for the word, for the word good in the Greek. One means literally just good. And the second word means not only good, but attractive, winsome, and beautiful. This word that Jesus used here is that second word that means to be not just good, but attractive, to be winsome and beautiful. You see, your good deeds should be attractive. Your words that you say should be winsome. They should be beautiful. We shine everywhere we go, not just in the church, but outside of the church. When we go to the restaurants, when we go to the graduation, when we go to work, when we go out to exercise, when we go to the doctor's visits, our good deeds should be attractive. We should be generous towards one another. They should say, I don't get it. Why are you so generous towards me? Why, why are you willing to give me a second chance when I cost this company so much money? You, as my employer, are willing to give me a second chance. Why are you forgiving me? Our good deeds should be shocking. The things that we do should point people to who? Ourselves? No. To God. The reason why we do these good deeds are to bring glory to the Father. They point people to a loving God, to a God of reconciliation, to a God who's willing to forgive his enemies, not only forgive, but to give his one and only son for the sake of them who, who, who have rejected him. This is a message of hope. This is a message of reconciliation. This is a message of truth. This is a message of mercy. This is a message of love. You see, when we live as salts and the lights, we are people that point to our Heavenly Father. And Jesus speaks here and he points people to their Heavenly Father. And this is a new concept for the Jewish people of this time. They knew that God was the Father of Israel. But Jesus began walking the earth and calling Jesus your Father and your Father. And he made it very intimate and he created a new picture for the people to see that God is a God that is their Father in heaven. And he points them to him. So why does this matter? Why does it matter that we should be salt and light to those around us? As we sit here today, I see lots of salts. I see lots of lights. But why does it matter? Well, we live in a dark world, right? And also, the very fact that you are living here is because someone was salt and light to you. The very fact that we're gathered here and you claim the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior is because someone was being salt and light to you. It makes a difference. It changes lives from lost to found, from hell to heaven. Being salt and light matters because lives are at stake. Your life was at stake and it's been changed by the message of Jesus Christ and his followers that were salt and light to you. God puts us in unique and specific locations to be salt and lights. God has put you next to people on purpose to be salt and light to them, to be people of influence, to preserve that which is good that God has created, and to show people what God has created is actually good. And what he says is true works. Another way to put it is that 
is a way like this. I liked, like this version. It says, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As a public as sitting on a hill, if, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open your house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You see, our good deeds will open up people to their heavenly Father. When we are open and generous to others that God has placed in our lives, it points them to a God who is generous and loving. It points them to their true heavenly Father. And that is the ultimate purpose of being salt and light. So as we close this morning, the question for us all to, to ask is, who will I be salt and light to this week? Who does Jesus want you to be salt and light to? Where has Jesus placed you in this place on earth to be a salt and light? Is it at your job? Is it in your neighborhood? Is it at the gym? Is it at the doctor's office? Is it at the restaurants? Is it on vacation? Where will you be salt and light this week? Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you so thankful that you came into the world through your son, Jesus. You are the light of the world. And Lord, we are lost without you. You are the one who has changed our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would be people that do not put a bucket or a bushel over our lights, but that we would shine our lights for you that we would have conversations that are always full of grace, seasoned with salt, that we would do everything without arguing or complaining and shine like stars in the universe, pointing people to who you are, our good Father. Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would unleash us as we saw the early church grow exponentially because they took your words seriously. Lord, I pray in this moment right now that you would forgive us for the times that we have not shown our light, for the times that we have not seasoned or purified that which is good around us. Lord, forgive us I pray, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit this week, that we would walk in the ways of you. In Jesus' name, amen.